things that we are able to celebrate and enjoy are because of those who have come before us. Those who struggled under oppression, those who uh, fled so that they could find religious freedom. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of all the bad things that take place by the hand of men or through the difficulties still because of Adam and Eve who sinned and the curse, as we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, that, that still travails because of the curse, waiting, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, your children. But in all of this, we know that there is a struggle, and the struggle continues today, that we would be people who seek you. We would be people who seek to, to live by biblical and therefore right moral principles instead of immorality. That we would be free from sin's oppression and destruction. That we would be free free from the destruction of demonic, sinful aggression. And as we see immorality rear its ugly head, we also see demonic forces that are taking advantage of the situation. And so we pray for, Lord, that those who have been blinded in our culture today to the evilness of some ideologies that you would wake them up and help them to see and that they too could be free from sin, the oppression of sin and its destruction. Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate, that we can enjoy the many blessings of freedom. And we ask, Lord, as we turn to your word that we would understand it within the full context, that we would understand what you are seeking to teach us today and i thank you lord for um, the opportunity to seek to expound upon your word in jesus name amen today's message is entitled free indeed and we truly are free if we know jesus christ as our savior and we want that freedom to reign and um Recently, you know, with Roe v. Wade being overturned an unconstitutional ruling from the past, allowing it to go back to the states, I recently learned that the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned was the traditional and more Catholic, so by traditional, what they still celebrate, but it's the traditional date to recognize the passage where John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb when Mary went to see Elizabeth. Isn't that fascinating? That it was overturned on that day? That is a strong passage in the New Testament for the reality that life begins in the womb. That those are individuals. It was also pointed out that there were five pl planets that aligned that day, and in that, the astrologer who had taken some pictures, his, his or her name, I don't know who it was other than the last name, was Dobbs, as in Dobbs versus Jackson, the case that came before the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, 
when it was overturned. That's kind of fascinating. I believe God does things to make us think a little. I mean, even I've pointed out several times, I'm not, I don't really watch the Kentucky Derby much, you know, but even that horse winning the race, I think God does interesting things to make us think, oh, we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all under control. But also that he makes us think about there are no coincidences. Life matters, and it matters to God where we stand. Whether we stand on biblical morals or reject him and his word. It matters as individuals, and it matters for nations as well. On the day before the 4th, I'd like to focus on that thought, and the thought that freedom comes from obeying God. Freedom does come from obeying God. And therefore, this is how I'd like us to write it down. We must turn to the Lord to be free indeed. We must turn to the Lord to be free indeed. First, let's, let's view this from biblical history found in the Old Testament. There we find that rebellion against God results in the spiraling decline into slavery. That is... First, that disobedience, starting that decline, that disobedience procures bankruptcy. And so there's a couple of chapters in the Old Testament where we find spiritual bankruptcy. For David, it is 2 Samuel chapter 11. For Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11. And chapter 11, bankruptcy, so you can hopefully remember that, right? Where did David go spiritually bankrupt? Second Samuel chapter 11. Solomon, well, a lot of places, but 1 Kings chapter 11. So let's go to 2 Samuel real quick and just get an overview. And I just want you to focus on in 2 Samuel, in the Old Testament here, and I just want you to follow along and look at a couple of verses here with me, starting in chapter 12, verse 1. No, verse 7, 2 Samuel 11, verse 7. And so, really, chapter 11 is where David sees Bathsheba. Then he has her brought to his chambers. Then when they find out that she's pregnant because of David, he gets one of his mighty men, Uriah, killed. Because Uriah wouldn't do what he wanted him to do to try to conceal the problem. And so he goes spiritually bankrupt. And then we have Nathan, the prophet, who comes in and confronts David in chapter 12. And we find that this bankruptcy, the spiritual bankruptcy, broke his kingdom and his family. So here's where we find it here in verse 7 through 12. Chapter 12, 7 through 12. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Remember, he gives him this scenario. And David says, well, that man needs to be judged. And and Nathan says, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. 
I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? Notice that. Maybe underline it or highlight it. He did evil in the Lord's sight by being disobedient to the Lord. That is evil, to disobey God. Verse 9 again. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of, the, of Ammon. That is, he had his men pulled back, so he was struck down by the enemy. Verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. See? It's going to break his house, his family. Because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Wow. Sometimes we like to think, oh, my sin will not affect others. Affects his whole household and his kingdom. All of the people. His son who does live, the next child, by Bathsheba. Second Samuel. Acts, I mean, 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings. And everybody knows Solomon, right? The wisest man who still in his wisdom rejected and turned away from God eventually. And so in... 1 Kings chapter 11, we find Solomon, Solomon's chapter 11 bankruptcy. And so in this chapter, we find that he disobeys God, marrying many wives and marrying wives of false religions. And then there's disobedience against God and turning away from God and setting up idol worship. So look at verse 5 of chapter 11. Verse 5, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done, except for when he had sinned, right? Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and to Moloch the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And so the main thing is he went after wives who were worshiping false gods and he set up those idols. And I find it very interesting. In verse 5, Ashtoreth, is the ancient Syrian and Phoenician goddess of the moon 
of sexuality, sensual love, and fertility. And it was often associated with the worship of Baal. We find oftentimes that false gods are tied very closely to demonic activity as well as, well as sexual sin. Chamash in verse 7 is a national god of the Moabites. This com- that him, this worshiping this god compounded with Ashtar, the Venus star, and so thought to be a pagan god associated with heavenly bodies. There is, is a lot more information about Chamash, but I think what is most important is that Chamash was worshiped by the sacrifice of children as burnt offerings. Don't you find that interesting? Misha, king of Moab, later on offered his oldest son as a burnt offering on the wall of Ker Hereseth, this ancient capital of Moab, in 2 Kings 23 13. Molech, in verse 7, Molech was the national god worshiped by the Ammonites, and parents offered their own children as a fire offering to Molech. Talk about demonic activity. In Jeremiah 32, 35, they built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch, which I had not commanded them, nor had it, it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. In Leviticus 18, 21, here's, this is just a couple of passages that talks about the horrendous sacrificial uh, worship of Moloch. It says, You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Talk about spiritual bankruptcy. It's quite a spiral downward. and even into slavery to worship of false gods. But not only do we see this, that it produces, produced spiritual bankruptcy, but rebellion, rebellion pardon me, degenerates into destructive slavery. And so, as we go on, Solomon, you know, he has his child, and his children, and then... You have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and uh, Rehoboam, his son, is not wise at all, and so the Lord takes half the kingdom away, which is the northern ten tribes. And so you have Judah, Benjamin, and many Levites in the southern part of the kingdom. Then you have the northern ten tribes, and they begin to follow Jeroboam. And Jeroboam goes, and he believes that even though God had given him the northern tribes and had split the kingdom apart because of Solomon's sin, because of David's sin, he thinks that he needs to have a different worship system because all of the people are going to go down to Jerusalem and worship there. And their hearts are going to turn back to the king of Judah and he's going to lose his kingdom. And so we find that he, he makes two golden calves and sets them up in two different places to worship. 
And thus begins the northern tribes, which we would call Israel, and the southern tribes, Judah, right? They fall away from God very, very rapidly into slavery, taken away out of their lands into slavery by the Assyrians. Judah falls too, but their decline is much slower. And so this rebellion, and so 1 Kings chapter 12, 23 1 King chapter 12, verse 23, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to, to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you must not go up and fight against your relatives. I think I need a different chapter. I think it's chapter 15. Well, it might be 13 here. But anyway, so but that's that's a passage where Jeroboam is not to go and, and, and fight against Jeroboam to let them go. But anyway, Jeroboam sets up two golden calves. He worships these idols that he had made. And so chapter 13, um, Actually, I think uh, what I want you to see is verse 32. We are there. I was in the wrong chapter, I think. All right. Chapter 12, 32 through 33. Okay. In 32, Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which, notice, Maybe underline, he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests of the high, the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. And so here we see that he set up his own religious system, which he had made. He set up these, these, these idols. He set up this sacrifice. He did all of this. And then we come to 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 5, and we have a prophet who, who comes up against him and says, this is what the Lord's going to do because of what you have done. And verse 5, the Lord would split apart that. And the ashes were poured out from the altar, showing that the things that he had done would not stand up, would not hold up. And so it led them down into false worship of false gods. But the Lord destroyed the idol. In 1 Kings chapter 13, 33, and 34, it says... After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but again he made priests of the high places from among all the people. Any who would, any who would, he ordained to be priests on the high places. This event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. His kingdom would not stand because of his rebellion against God. Basha's destructive sin the next king look at chapter 1534 i want to show you the spiraling decline of the northern tribes the kings of israel look at 
1 Kings 15, 34. Basha, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. And so we could go on and on and you'll see more often and, and very quickly the northern tribes rebelled, each king doing worse. To set us up, and I hope to come back and look at Elijah here in the coming weeks and 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 what King Ahab did, but their destructive sin was a spiraling decline for the nation into slavery. And we know that they were conquered by the Assyrians. But the spiraling digression where the kings turned away from the Lord and towards destructive slavery of worship of false gods over the years until they were physically removed from the land and enslaved is fascinating to me. There is a direct correlation, I believe, between the turning away from God and the digression of sinful depravity. There is a direct connection then to not only being enslaved to sin, but the destruction of a nation. And so I want to challenge you, morality matters. And today our nation is blessed by God's grace to help us turn from the wretchedness of national sin. We must turn to the Lord to be free indeed. Rebellion against God results in a spiraling decline into slavery. We can look at the nations throughout history. And it may take a while, but eventually destruction comes. Second, let's see what Jesus had to say about freedom. Let's see what Jesus had to say in the the Gospel of John. I want you to turn to John chapter 8. We've spent some time here recently. It's fascinating, the discussions that he has had to make with those who believe that they are in the right worship, but they aren't, which is fascinating. We see a whole new sense of morality, a whole new sense of who's righteous within our nation, within from the elitist and the oh, the leftist media. So John chapter 8, 28 through 36. We find a repentant faith in Jesus results in glorious freedom and eternal life. And so look at 8, 28. So Jesus said, and so in this conversation with the religious elite, Jesus continues to try to get his point across. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, 
We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And we, we see this discussion and Jesus says, no, your father is Satan, the father of lies. And so when we look at this, pa- this passage, I think it's very important for us to understand that Jesus is offering them and Jesus offers us today salvation, freedom from sin and the penalty of sin, which is death, both physical And spiritual eternal death, that is condemnation or judgment. This is what he offers. And there's like, oh, we've never, you know, we're not enslaved, we're free. We're Abraham's descendants. God brought Abraham's descendants by hand of Moses out of the of captivity amongst the the Egyptians. And since then, we have mostly been free. Yeah, they were conquered for a time, but we're free. And Jesus says, You're not getting the picture. You're still slaves in your sin, and you will not last forever because you're slaves. But a son lives forever. Jesus remains in the house forever. And anyone who turns to him for the forgiveness of their sins will remain as God's child and not a slave. And so there's freedom in sonship. And so in verse 28, Jesus is... Jesus' free obedience to the Father ensures our adoption. And so go to John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1 here with me real quick. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were not born who were born sorry who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of god and so the first question is do we understand where we stand that is are we a child of god have we believed and received the gift of salvation and sonship from the lord Have we believed in the name, the personal work of Jesus Christ? He is God. He is God the Son. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. And he rose again and he is coming again. And it says in Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. And we had better pray to him today and receive that forgiveness saying he is Lord than before we're cast into the sea of fire. Because if we're not a son, if we're not a child of God, then we are still enemies of God. And we are still blinded by Satan, we're blinded by our sin, and we are still slaves to sin and to the punishment of sin. 
But Jesus then states to those who, here in chapter 8, 28, he then states to those who commit sins that they are slaves to sin. And then he states that, that a son remains, but not a slave. And since Jesus, who paid the price for sin, is a son, then we can be children of God as well. And then in verse 36, and I know I repeated myself there, but in verse 36... He specifically states that if you are made free by the Son, then you are free indeed. And so our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted in other nations, they are truly free. And they are freer than some of those who are born in the United States who are following after their own lusts, their own sinful desires, never turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom, we find in this passage, also is life. It says in this passage that truth will set you free. The truth, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ron Brown the other night uh, made a fascinating point that I had kind of forgotten. He says, I don't, you know, my favorite word isn't, you know, some of those important words like the way, you know, way or truth. But the sense in the English language where it says the, the article is not a, it's the. He's not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. The only way for salvation, the only way for freedom is to know the truth, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Therefore, the Son, He is the one who sets you free. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And therefore, those of us who come to know Him, we have been freed indeed. There's also some interesting Uh, thoughts there in Romans chapter 6 that Paul puts down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is God's word. Uh, Therefore, it is true. And he makes an interesting correlation between how you are either slave to sin and death or a slave to Christ, which means you're willingly following Christ and therefore free from the most destructive slave owner you could be, which is sin resulting in death. But you can live eternally instead of have eternal death. But I believe God's word makes it clear and Jesus spoke to the truth that repentant faith in him results in glorious freedom and eternal life. And quite honestly, I think it's going to be interesting where our nation turns to now. We pray for revival. If we continue to go down a path towards debauchery or sexual immorality and many other egregious sins, not only does that enslave those who are committing them and blinds those who are living that lifestyle, but it will destroy a nation. It's fascinating to see the correlation between the Old Testament and do we learn from history? 
Are we willing to learn from history? But as individuals, let's think about it as individuals. Do we know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we turned to him? And maybe you are someone who says, yeah, I've trusted. I've I've placed my full faith and confidence in, in who Jesus is and what he has done. And I believe I have been forgiven and I have a new life now. Colossians chapter 3, right? Many other passages. I'm a child of God. But are we just setting that over in this box over here and then walking and following our own path and doing it our way like Jeroboam did? Are we following Jesus? Because when we try to do it our own way, it leads to destructive enslavement to sin, even the sin of pride. So we individuals who say, I have placed my full faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be people who want that continual relationship with the Lord Jesus because we cannot do it on our own. We need to walk in the Spirit. And therefore, to, to walk in the Spirit, we should be people who are filled by the Spirit. We need to be people who are spending time in the Word daily as individuals, and we need to be people who are encouraging one another in the Lord as we see the day approaching. And so, in the coming weeks, I want to look at a prophet, a man who stood in the gap proclaiming the need for Israel to to turn back to the Lord. And we see with the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, that there were good kings, very bad kings. And it's fascinating to see the correlation between destruction of a southern kingdom when they turn away from the Lord and revival within those kingdoms when they sought him with all of their heart, especially the king. But for us in the United States, we're blessed with with the Constitution, not a king, right? At least that's what I'm told. And we're blessed with the freedom to worship the Lord. And so it has to always be, and it should have been in the Old Testament as well, but in the New Testament specifically, it should be a grassroots effort to follow the Lord. It's not a kingdom or nation effort, but it can turn into reigniting a revival within even our government, with even the elitist, with even within the colleges to turn to a, a true and pure science and religion. By true religion, I mean not all the false religions of its works-based, but one that sees what the Word of God says and follows Him. A true science is one that says we're going to look at all the data and make a scientific observation and not say, hey, this is what we want, so we're going to fabricate stuff. You guys are saying, oh, you're throwing out a lot of accusations. Yes, I am. Anyway, that part's my opinion, but the reality is our nation needs the Lord, and our colleges need the Lord. Our communities need the Lord, and we as individuals, it starts with us, are we following after the Lord Jesus daily, spending time in the Word, seeking after him let's pray lord i thank you that you are gracious to us that you are patient 
and you are good. And even in the midst of the difficult times, Lord, you are there and you're working it out for our spiritual benefit. Help us to see past any pain. Help us to see past any of the blessings and say, I want to follow you, Jesus, no matter whether I have these blessings or this pain. Help us to be people of the word who are seeking after you and that when we see uh, little, what we would call coincidences, that we would look into those and, and give you the glory for the good things and cling to you through the difficult times. Lord, our nation needs you. We have an opportunity to seek to to help those who are in difficult situations because of sin, um, unwanted, unplanned pregnancies, many of them that, that may not be living a life of sin, but they don't want a child. And so we pray, Lord, that the church would rise up and be there to adopt, that the church would be there to rise up and be there as we have been for many years, to comfort and encourage those facing depression, uh, facing heartache, uh, facing, even if they make the right decision, um, the difficulties of the consequences of, of having a child out of wedlock or having a child and not having the money. So help us to be there. But those who have had abortions, Lord, that we would be there for them as well to encourage them to find healing and comfort in you, Lord Jesus. We pray that the truth would be out there about uh, the realities of of depression, of um, difficulty uh, for those who have had abortions in the past. Uh, That people would see it not as a political issue, but as a reason why we should be more engaged to help them. Lord, we pray that our nation would see the value of life, even within the womb, the value of life for children, uh, the value of life for the older folks, and that we would seek to care for them with all that we have. Um, We thank you, Lord, for um, your word and for your grace towards us, and and, uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the moisture that we have received in places, and we do ask for more. But as we go out this week and as we celebrate um, the freedoms that we've been able to enjoy, help us to seek to to fight for the freedom, uh, freedom from sin uh, within our culture. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for our missionaries. Uh, Pray that you'd provide for them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So it is Missionary Sunday. We're going to take up an offering for our missionaries. Could I have some... Oh.